0: So I want to start by recommending a book to you. It's called The Treasure Principle, and it's by Randy Alcorn. The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. It is a wee book, just 90 pages long, and it was helpful to me as I prepared the sermon and would be helpful to you if you would like to take the themes that we're going to discuss today and uh, look into them a a little more. The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. Uh, One of the things he points out in this book is that 15%, 15% of everything Jesus ever said has to do with money and possessions. Fifteen percent of the things he ever spoke had to do with money and possessions. This is more than his teaching on heaven and on hell combined. If I were to follow a similar pattern, then nearly two months of every year I would preach on money and possessions. Why does this theme get such emphasis in the preaching of Christ? The reason is clear that our faith and our finances are inseparable. Our faith and our finances are inseparable. There is a foundational connection, link between our spiritual lives and our approach to money. And we see this all throughout the Scriptures. I Think with John the Baptist who was asked in Luke chapter 3 uh, how we should live in light of the gospel, how we should live in order to demonstrate the fruit of repentance. And he gives uh, three answers. First of all, he says that we should share our clothes and our food with the poor. Uh, secondly, he says that we shouldn't try to take anything that doesn't belong to us. Thirdly, he says that we ought to be content with our wages, and our station in life. Now, it's interesting that he's not asked about money and possessions. He's asked about how to live in light of the gospel, how to live with the fruit of repentance, and his answer comes in financial terms. Why? Because faith and finances are inseparable. We see this with Zacchaeus. You remember when he comes to Christ in Luke chapter 19 and having received the grace of the gospel, he says, Lord, right now I give half of all my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, then I'm going to repay that person fourfold. Remember Jesus' response? He says, today salvation has come to this house. Not saved because he was generous, but because he had been saved that, that he was then found it natural to respond by giving generously of his possessions there is an inseparable link I think of the Ephesian converts in Acts chapter 19. You remember when they came to Christ and they had this celebration where they gathered together and they got all the books that they had on dark magic and they put them into one enormous pile and then they set a match and light the whole thing into flames. Books that in today's money we are told would be worth millions of dollars. They considered it nothing to, to get rid of these things once they had faith in Christ. We could look at the poor widow. We could think of the rich young ruler again and again and again. We see that there is an inseparable link between our faith and our finances. And as soon as we start the sermon this morning, I want us to understand this because I want us to see that Jesus speaking in this text is not some kind of TV evangelist where he talks about money in order to manipulate you out of it. It's not that he is, I mean, think of Jesus. He was a man who had no possessions. He was a man who was never rich. We are told that the Son of Man never had anywhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't even own a pillow. He was a man who was not in it for earthly gain. Rather, what Jesus is saying to us this morning is that if you understand how much I've given you, it changes your approach to giving to others. And if you understand who I've promised to care for you, it changes your approach to how you care for others. As the thunder and it follows the lightning, so generosity is to follow the grace of the gospel. There is an inseparable link between the two. Uh, Four observations about generosity from the text for your consideration this morning. First of all, let's look at verse 19, where we see that generosity is, at a very foundational level, logical. Generosity is logical. Look with me at verse 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Well, why not, Jesus? Because here, moth and rust destroy, and here thieves break in And Steele, he's saying the long term return on earthly investments is very poor. John D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men who who ever lived, Uh, when he passed away, somebody asked his accountant, How much did did John D. leave? And his accountant replied with a a now classic reply All of it. All of it. Everything he ever earned, he, he left. Behind there is not a good return on our earthly treasures instead Jesus says lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven why Jesus because there neither rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, there is a great return on your heavenly treasures. Jesus says later on in Matthew's gospel in chapter 19 that whatever you have given up for his sake, whether it is family or possessions or money, whatever you have given up for Christ and for the gospel, you will not fail to receive a hundredfold in this life, an eternal life in the age to come. Whatever you give up for the kingdom's sake, you're going to receive a hundred times more. It is a return on investment that is incomparable in our world. I don't know if you've seen uh, the marshmallow experiment. This is a great experiment. A number of people have done it, and the one I saw came out of Stanford University where they get a bunch of three- and four-year-olds, and they take them into a room, and they sit them down at a table, and then they put just one marshmallow in front of them, and they say, now listen, you can eat the marshmallow now, or I'm going to go away for a minute, and when I come back, if, it's, if you've not eaten it, I'll give you another one, right? So one now, or two, in just a minute. And then they leave the room, and you see the angst consume the three-year-olds, okay? They start just by looking at it, right? And three-year-olds are great, you know, they're so fidgety, and they're kind of just moving around, and then, then the sort of temptation starts to get better of them, and they'll lean in, and they'll just they'll sniff it, they'll smell it, right? And then they'll kind of reach out and touch it. And then several of them kind of pick it up and just kind of look at it and then put it back down. You know, it's kind of like, oh, the angst, the tension. And then they're great. They start to just like, they just take a little bit from it, right? Uh, one wee kid was a genius because she took a bit from the bottom and put it back, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> right? And just this kind of angst that consumes them, that this inability to see that they'd be better off waiting for the long-term reward. Now the thing that is glorious and great and wonderful about children is that they are like us, just more honest. (laughs) And we are the same. We see these earthly treasures and they seem so immediate and they seem so tempting and we sniff them and we touch them and we take a bite and put it back and we, we cannot delay our gratification. We're so allured by the treasures of this earth that we don't see the return that would be ours if we laid up instead treasures on heaven. Now, I'm not saying it's a sin to save or to plan. These are wise and necessary activities. What I am saying is that one of our central responsibilities, if you call yourself a Christian this morning, one of the central responsibilities of every believer in Jesus Christ is to determine how much it is that you need to live on and then to give the rest away Now, determine how much you need to live on. Yes, that would include some saving or investments, whatever it is. But then to give the rest away. Now, the answer might be legitimately different for each of us, but the principle still stands. We are to test ourselves on this, to invest in those sources that will yield an eternal return. And to do so is just logical. Generosity is logical. Second thing we see is that generosity is also freeing. We also see this from verse 19. Yes, it's logical. It's the right thing to do, but it's also freeing in that it's the best thing to do. Where do we see this in verse 19? Well, basically in verse 19, we're told that the more you have, the more you have to worry about. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. What happens to our earthly treasures? Look at verse 19. Uh, Moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal. All the treasures that we might accumulate here on earth end up wearing out, getting stolen, breaking, causing us headaches. The Lord gave me a great providential timing of, uh, um, kind of example of this 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 week because I was sitting uh, in my backyard Uh, around this wee fire pit that we have with my brother who's in town. And we were talking and just sort of enjoying the beautiful fall evening. And I'd text someone on my phone and then I just sort of tossed my phone to the chair that was beside me. Uh, Picked it up about an hour later to realize that that chair had accumulated a big pool of water and I had set my iPhone right in the midst of this pool of water. Um, Scooped it out, uh, tried to dry it off, put it in a bag of rice. You know that trick? You know? Um, and uh, two days later, it was still completely dead, okay? Completely dead. So I go into the Verizon store, and I say, I give you hundreds of dollars every month. Give me some loving right now, okay? <laughs> I need you to help me out here. And so, you know, back and forth we go, because you're, n- you're never eligible for an upgrade, ever, right? Um, and we kind of come to this agreement and this bargain, and they go off to get me a replacement iPhone. However, when they come back, um, the horror was that they only had the white iPhones okay now you might be more secure in your masculinity than me okay and i'm prepared to accept that but the white iPhones always seem to me to be a little bit girly you know just a little bit. i don't know if anyone else sort of has that experience um, so i did two things to try and like recover from the situation first of all i bought a really rugged black case okay it's like man case um, and then for the wallpaper on my phone I use a picture of the fire that i had been sitting around, you know, so it's kind of like man case, fire, girly white phone. Um, And if you're a guy with a white iPhone, (laughs) you just have more security than me. Okay, I'm not trying to condemn your phone usage, right? Um, What's the point of telling you this story? (laughs) (laughs) Treasure on Earth breaks. Treasure on Earth causes you a headache. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. We see this in great fashion from um, some of the richest men in history. John Jacob Astor, who was the first multi millionaire in the US, said, I am the most miserable man on earth. Uh, W.H. Vanderbilt inherited some 100 million from his father. He doubled that amount within a decade. And then he said, The care of 200 million people. Dollars is enough to kill anyone. There's no pleasure in it. Rockefeller, who we've mentioned already, said, I've made many millions, but they brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie said, millionaires seldom smile. Henry Ford, a billionaire, said, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. So what generosity does is declutter our lives. What generosity does is simplify our lives so that we're not only living well within our means, but also giving things away so that there is less in our lives to cause us this kind of worldly care and concern. One pastor says, do you know how much time I spend worrying about my boat? None at all, because I don't have a boat, okay? (laughs) (laughs) The more you have, the more you have to worry about. So generosity declutters our lives, enables us to live simply, seeking joy and satisfaction, not in the abundance of our possessions, but in Christ and the source in which it's truly found. So yes, generosity is logical, makes sense. And yes, generosity is also freeing. It is good for us. The third thing we see in our text, and this time from verse 21, is that generosity also has a way of of directing our hearts, Generosity directs our hearts. What do I mean by this? Well, let's look at verse 21. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the same way that a train runs down its tracks, he says, so your heart will follow your treasure. Your heart starts to invest in those same things that you invest your finances in. Suppose, for example, that you buy shares in General Motors. What starts to happen? Well, several things. First of all, you start to see Buicks everywhere. (laughs) All your life, you never noticed Buicks, and now you see them everywhere. Secondly, you know the CEO of GM's name. Um, If there's an article in the paper on GM, you read it before you would have passed it over, now you're engaged, that your mind and your heart start to invest in those things that you have invested your money in. And in the same way, generosity does the same thing to our hearts. So if you want to have a passion for the poor, a passion for the unborn, a passion for missions, Jesus says, invest your treasure there and your heart will follow. Why? Because generosity starts this kind of a a chain reaction. You start giving money to the poor, say at the Lamb Center through Greater D.C., a a homeless shelter in Fairfax. You start giving money there, and then before you know it, you find that you you take a visit to see this facility that you've been giving your money to. You have an incredible experience there, and so the next weekend, you bring your family to show them. And before you know it, you've become one of those families that spends their time on a Saturday morning serving the poor and serving the homeless chain reaction that begins with the investment of your money. Test yourself on this. Where is your heart? Are there things you, you, you wish and feel convicted that you should be more passionate about? I encourage you to be generous to those areas and see the Lord uh, enable your heart to follow. Fourth and finally, uh, generosity is logical. It's freeing. It directs the heart. And Fourth and finally, generosity is also necessary. It's necessary for those who would call themselves believers in Jesus Christ. We see this in verse 24, where Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or, he says, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. People say, well, maybe we can lay up treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. And Jesus says, no, you cannot do birth. You cannot serve God and money. This is why he says, don't lay up treasures on earth and do lay up treasures on, in, in, in heaven. That, that generosity is a thing that is, is necessary for the believer. To try and serve God and money is, is kind of like say, saying to your spouse, let's stay married but date other people. Right? It's a kind of an either-or situation. They are mutually exclusive to one another and if we're not generous in theory or in practice God says I will not share your heart with another I will not share your heart with another I am jealous for you I love you enough to send Christ for you and I will not share you with another and so as believers and again pointing this directly to believers you should be able to take to a friend your checkbook your visa statements, your year-end taxes. And they should be able to tell on the basis of those whether you serve God or whether you serve money. They should be able to tell by our financial dealings where it is that our treasure lies. Test yourself in this way. So those are the four observations. Generosity is logical, it's freeing, directs our heart, and for the believer it's it's necessary. Before we close, though, let's um, just spend a few moments uh, reflecting on, on how we can foster the spirit of generosity. Because we don't want to end the sermon and just sort of leave with a kind of vague feeling of guilt. Uh, Dave and I were discussing this. You know, he spoke about prayer last week, and this week we're talking about money, and, and these are both topics that tend toward just kind of feeling bad about ourselves. Yeah, we don't pray enough. Yeah, we don't give enough. Yeah. No right? Uh, Jesus talks about these issues so much that we might move beyond that vague sense of guilt, that we might understand his will for our lives and walk gladly in it. So how do we go about fostering uh, generosity? I've got uh, an internal discipline and an external discipline to reflect upon together. First of all, let's start with the internal discipline. Understand that generosity is only ever meant to be a response to grace. If you aren't a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I would ask you to know that you do not need to give to the work of the church, and I would not encourage you necessarily to, to give to other organizations either, because it's very easy for that to become a thing that we use to, to sort of make ourselves feel better. What Jesus wants is not your money, is is your heart. And so, if you aren't a believer, you certainly feel no compulsion to give to this congregation. If you are a believer, though, we still need to connect to the gospel. We need to have this internal overflow, uh, this internal work of the gospel in our hearts that overflows uh, into generosity. How does this work? Two questions for you. First of all, ask yourself, and do this just now, ask yourself for you, what is it that money gives you? What is it that money gives you? Because on a superficial level, well, you know, it gives you a bigger bank balance, might give you some possessions, it can give you lots of things, but what is it that you are using money to get? We discussed this amongst our staff this week, and they shared several things for themselves. Uh, one thing might be approval. You might use money in order to get approval. that You need to have... The, those, a certain type of clothing, a certain type of technology in order to fit in with the crowd. Um, it might not be approval. It might be a certain, not this, this need to be liked, but it might just be respect. This need to be esteemed or, or valued. And so that home or that car marks, uh, sort of symbolizes that you have a certain standing or, or status. For many of us, money is, is used to, to get security, We feel a sense of rest, a sense of peace, a sense of control if there is money in the bank. And, you know, ask yourself, for you, what is it that that money gives you? And then secondly, ask yourself, how is it that the gospel speaks to that? What is money, you know, what do you need money for and how is it that the gospel speaks to that? Even to work through those three examples— approval, using your money to get approval. How does the gospel speak to approval? In a kind of interesting, paradoxical way. First of all, by saying, yeah, you, you are depraved, <laughs> and yet you're deeply loved. You are welcomed and approved of by the Father. And so you don't need to use your earthly treasures to try and work up approval because you already have the approval of the king and if you have the approval of the king you don't need the approval of the peasants if it's not approval maybe it's respect this need to be esteemed this need to be valued how does the gospel speak to that it says you are valuable enough for Christ to leave the riches of heaven to come to this earth and take on poverty of humanity and even the poverty of death itself so that in losing everything he might give you everything. That's how esteemed you are. I don't think that you need a house or a car to be valued. If it's security, and many of us have this idol of of security, we look at the gospel and we see a father who has not only given us all things in the past, but promises to be with us in the present so that the reality is the security of our bank balance is just an illusion. Our security is either the everlasting arms of God or nothing at all. Here's the point in principial form. When you analyze your heart you realize that everything you long to be true and everything you long for is already yours in the gospel. Everything you long for is already yours in the gospel. And that approval, respect, security, whatever it may be is that, that, that need and that desire and that longing is met and satisfied and overwhelmed by uh, the love of Christ so that money just becomes money. It doesn't become a thing that you use to get those heart-level things. Approved of, respected, secure, I'm free to give those things away. The internal discipline of, of needing the gospel into our hearts. Then comes the external principle. Um, are you ready for this? It could not be less profound. Give. Um, give. Try it. Do it. Don't sit around and talk about it too long. Don't pray about it for too long. Just go and do it. See, when I say don't pray about it too long, that sounds like a thing a pastor shouldn't say. Um, but, but I mean it, because prayer is the Christian's way of procrastinating sometimes. Okay. Um, yes, pray without ceasing. But do something in the meantime. Okay, um, that that God is call, God is calling us, and Christ is calling us in this text to move out and and be generous. And so I would I would encourage you do an experiment. Okay, Th- uh, an organization that you trust, you think will use your finances well, sign up you know automatic monthly payment to a level that causes you to sacrifice, and then just see what God does. Just see what He does. I promise you, not a single person here will testify today, tomorrow, or on their deathbed that the Lord didn't supply their every need. I promise you, uh, do you know anyone who has told you they regretted being too generous? Did anyone ever say that? I think the Lord is calling us to to not just um, think and pray that we must do those things, but to move out into action and see if he won 't prove himself faithful, let me close with a story a story about William Borden, who was a Yale graduate and the heir to a great fortune and He turned his back upon it, leaving a life of ease in order to go and be a missionary amongst Egyptian. Uh, Muslims. He refused even to buy himself a car and gave hundreds of thousands of dollars away to the work of missions. After only four months in Egypt, he developed spinal meningitis and he died at the ripe old age of 25, turning his back on a life of comfort in order that he might serve Christ who he treasured. He is now buried in Egypt in a graveyard set aside for American missionaries and on his tombstone are inscribed the words, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there's just no explanation for such a life. And I challenge myself this week and I want to challenge you this morning and challenge us as a church whether our generosity would warrant such an epitaph may be true of us that apart from faith in Christ that there is no explanation for our lives. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would make the things of this world less appealing to us, not because they are bad, but because we find in our hearts that Jesus Christ becomes more appealing to us. That our hearts and our souls would not be fixated upon the things our world has to offer, but would instead find their joy and their comfort in Christ, in relationship with him, in the fact that we are treasured by him and so can treasure him in return. Would you do this work of grace in our hearts that it really might be said of us that you really can't explain our lives were it not for our relationship with Jesus. Lord, we pray these things in his perfect and matchless name. Glad for these teachings and to his honor and to his glory. Amen.